All right, well, good morning, Life Point. Everybody doing okay, okay this morning? We're good, 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 good. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, I, I wanted to let you know about something before we get started. Uh, we try to, at different times, uh, we try to highlight life groups that are happening that you can get involved in. It's, if you don't know about life groups, for us, life groups are our small group type ministry. It's where you get to really build some deeper relationships. You get to sometimes have deeper studies and ask questions. You kind of build friends and accountability partners. And so it's a really good place to, to see like the depth of everything grow. We would love for you to get involved. And we, we completely understand that sometimes we're not the greatest at figuring out how to do that well. Um, but we, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to highlight new groups that are happening, make sure there's some folks that are going to be in the next step area, which is right out those doors across the hall. So that you can go talk to if you're potentially interested in a group that is starting up. So that being said, there's a new group starting up. It is um, going to be meeting on Tuesdays at 5 p.m. So ladies study uh, starts November the 8th, okay? And Anna Grace or Lindsay, maybe Tammy even are all going to be over there. Uh, after the gathering to talk to you about it. Uh, it's, it's on a study called Breathe. It's just dealing with how, uh, for you ladies, life sometimes can get really chaotic or busy and how we like maintain our relationship with God and the calmness and how we actually breathe in, in everyday life. And so um, I just want to encourage you, if you're like, man, that's something I need, that's something I want to get involved in, then you can go meet those folks, get connected, get involved in that, uh, that uh, study. So we'd love for you to do that. Uh, this morning, I get to continue in our series in David that we've been doing. We've been talking about David and different kind of things. We've been looking at his history in the past, and it's, it's interesting what you can learn from history. Uh, my wife actually let me tag along with her last night, and she gives these spirit tours downtown that has all this different um, history and stories, and, you know, it's all very fun. Uh, but I got to tell a story last night, which I loved. I kind of got to, I'm always trying to do things to check them off like a bucket list. I don't even really have a bucket list. It's just an imaginary thing. I hear somebody, I'd like to do that. And then I just like on my bucket list. And so um, I got to tell one of these stories on this walk. And it was actually the very first uh, murder that ever happened in Albertville. So I thought that was interesting to me. I thought I'd give you the quick like cliff note versions of that. But there was a guy named James Miller. Um, he married a lady named Martha Albert. I'm going to mess this up at some point. Audrey's going to be like, you messed up. But um, James is the one who named Albertville because he loved Martha Albert so much. Isn't that so sweet? Oh, yeah, so sweet. Named Albertville Albert. But uh, they get married. He actually goes off to war, dies in the war, but um, they have a daughter. Daughter has two sons. And the oldest son's name was Albert, and the younger son named Willie. They live with Martha, their grandmother, in a house that's still marked by a marker in, in Albertville, downtown, close to First Baptist. And um, Albert, or Albert worked at the depot at 18. But Albert had an alcohol issue. He was drinking too much, and it's frowned upon you if you come to your job drunk. And so he was let go. He went there just a few days after that to send a telegraph and they wanted to make him pay to send the telegraph. I guess if you worked there, maybe you got the, to send telegraphs free, and they were going to make him pay to send this telegraph. Well, apparently Albert had been drinking, so he went home. He got his weapons, got his younger brother Willie, and they went back to the depot to exact some revenge on being treated that way. And um, on the way it happened, the first mayor of Albertville, Bob Coleman, happened to be there. 
And as Albert approaches the window to shoot at a guy named W.D. Clark to shoot at him through the window, um, Bob yells for him to duck. He ducks, and the first shot goes through W.D. Clark's hat. Uh, at that point, younger brother Willie holds, his, uh, holds the mayor at gunpoint, holds him at gunpoint and tells him not to move anymore or try to help out. And Albert proceeds on it, shoots through the door, and ends up uh, killing W.D. Clark, that gunshot, the first time anybody was ever murdered in Albertville. He is sentenced, convicted uh, for 35 years, and gets off in just a little over two, which I guess shows it doesn't matter who your dad is. Um, I don't know, but he ends up spending two years in jail and then uh, goes on. I don't know what he does after that, but hopefully he learned his lesson. But in history, what's interesting, in history, you can learn things. You can learn things, and you can learn things you shouldn't do. Um, you know, like if you're 18, you shouldn't be drinking, and you surely shouldn't be getting drunk and going to your job. That's not a good thing to do. It leads down a path that could lead to some bad things. And that's, we've been looking at David's life. We've been looking at the story of David's life and kind of the history of David's life, and we've been learning from the things that have been going on in David's life. We've been looking at when he was a shepherd and he was anointed. We look at uh, when he became this fighter and went and fought Goliath. And then people started really getting, he started getting recognition about who he was and the warrior that he is. And, and, and we started hearing about, um, you know, this, when he was on the run from Saul, but God protected him and he actually cut off part of Saul's cloak. And, and then the, the conflict that was going on between him and Saul and how he became more known than Saul, and people started to sing the song of ten thousands that, that David is slew his ten thousands, and he becomes famous. He we talked about how he was this uh, dreamer and had these dreams, but he listened to God, and he we see where he becomes a king, and now he's listening to God. He's not building the temple that he wanted to build. He's doing the things that God has called him to do. And then last week we saw this moment where David really kind of messes up for the first time in the story, where he saw Bathsheba, and. He, he was attracted to her, and he got his men to go get her and bring her to his room. He slept with her, and then he tried to cover it up by bringing Uriah back, and that didn't work out, and so he ends up sending an execution letter with Uriah back onto the battlefield, and Uriah is sent to the very front lines of the battlefield, and he's, he, he dies there. And then we want to kind of pick up from that place in the story. And what we see now is we see that David has taken Bathsheba in, and we're somewhere nine months plus, year, year and a half after this had taken place. And I think what's interesting in this moment, too, when this, when this takes place, it, it's not, I always thought it was like young man, David, like making these kind of mistakes. But this is a real eye-opener for me. David was 45 when the stuff with Bathsheba happens. I mean, he was making mistakes on up into his adulthood. And so, as far as we can know, though, at this point, we're not even told if Bathsheba knows that David killed Uriah. For all, most everybody that knows anything about anything other than his, his captain who got this letter, it looks like now David has taken this poor widow in whose husband died on the battlefield and taken him into the royal family. And now he's supporting her and supporting this child that's coming. And so there's almost this look of like David has now done something admirable by taking in Uriah's family. And from all we can tell, David is, everything's fine. He's, he's leading one of the greatest kingdoms 
uh, in the world. Um, he, he's, he's king. Everybody's still singing his praises. Everybody looks at him and still thinks this is an amazing leader we've got. And nobody really knows about what's going on. And we've all been there, like, right, when we're just feeling like, man, everything's going good in life, and, and we, you know, the calendars are lining up, and all our stuff's going well, the, the things that we're putting our, our efforts to are succeeding. And I think Dave was just kind of probably feeling that mode. And I thought, man, you know, it'd be really cool to have a song to help kind of figure out the feel, just kind of the vibe of where David was at. So um, I asked these guys to help me out with that. So they're going to they're gonna kind of maybe give you the vibe for a second. vibe. I mean, David has. I mean, he's kind of figured it out, and um, and that's kind of, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get that place in life where you're like, man, I've, I've kind of I've figured things out. I'm, things are going well. Life is good. Um, and then he's, he's one day hanging out in his palace, his, his, his little, you know, house that he's in, and, um, and a guy comes and visits him as a prophet named Nathan comes and visits him. And Nathan tells him this story. Nathan says, hey, King, there's, there's something going on. I just want to tell you about it so you can hear it. And he goes, okay. He goes, there's this one guy who has this, this little lamb. 
Amen. King, this, this lamb, he loves it. He got it when it was first born. And it's, it's the only one he has. It's the only lamb he has. And he, he like feeds the lamb. The lamb actually comes into his house. He's got a little place where the lamb can lay down. Even when he sits down, sometimes the lamb will come up and will sit in his lap and he'll pet the lamb. It's just it's precious. This lamb has become like a pet to him. He just he loves this lamb so, so much, King. But this guy came in, King, and he was they were celebrating an event that took place. And there's this other master of this guy who had a whole field full of lambs. Just as many as you could see, King. But when this festival, when they wanted to celebrate, the, have this party, he took this one guy's lamb that was his pet, and he killed it for the party and sacrificed it, and, and that was the lamb they used. And this happens to David. David's upset, right? This is what David says. In 2 Samuel 12, it says that then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. He is, he is upset about what has been done. He's like, Matt, what? He took that guy's one little lamb and he had all those other lambs? This guy deserves to die. I cannot believe this guy did this in my kingdom. He deserves to die, and he's going to pay him back fourfold. I mean, this is so bad. He didn't have pity on this person. This was his one lamb, and he stole it from him. I cannot believe this happened. And what he doesn't realize in the moment is that Nathan is exposing him. In fact, this is what Nathan says next. Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. It's hard when you feel like you've been hiding something so well, and yet in a moment, it comes crashing down. It's hard to think that nobody's going to know this sin that's been going on in my life. Nobody's going to know. I, I buried that. And yet, in this moment, Nathan exposes David. He says, you're the one who did this. You took Uriah's one precious wife. You took her for yourself. You're the man, David. You know, being exposed is not an easy thing. It's hard. It's hard to... to, to to deal with sin in our life in a way that's healthy. It's hard to deal with our mistakes that we make. It's hard to figure out how to handle it in a way that we can walk through it, be healthy. And, and the truth is that some people here today, you're probably in one or two areas, and, and maybe you've got some sin that you just kind of locked away. It's hidden away somewhere, and you're like, nobody knows about it. Or maybe you're kind of living after the exposure, like you've done some things, and people have found out about it, and you're trying to figure out how to live life after somebody's heard about your mistakes, your sin your bad choices. You're trying to figure out what life looks like in the aftermath of that. And it's, it's crazy. Like We're taught in culture to like not let anybody know when we mess up, right? Like We're, we're taught to, to try to hide the mess ups. We're taught to try to, to make sure everybody has this uh, great persona of us that seems so good, so awesome, like, like the, that we got it all together. I mean, that's, that's what we're told to do. 
In fact, there's been times, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, we do it all kind of little things. Like, it's crazy how we'll do it in little things, right? Um, we'll, we'll have something happen, like, somebody will call us, or I don't know if you ever got this text. Like, this is a text that, like, makes my gut drop, okay? When I get a text and it's like, hey, where you at? And then you're like, immediately, I forgot something, I forgot something, I forgot something, I forgot something, I forgot something. And then, and then it hits, and you're like, oh, gosh, I had this meeting I didn't put in my calendar. I'm supposed to be there in like 10 minutes, or I had this practice my kid's supposed to be at. I'm not there, or whatever. And then we'll immediately, I don't know, about you, I don't know if you, but many of us, and myself included, immediately go like, oh, man, it's just been so busy. I'm just running a little late. I'll be there like right in a minute, you know? Like, we just like give this half cover-up truth, like, you know, just trying to, to smooth it over. Or we mess up and we do something like uh, wrong and our, maybe our husband or our wife's like, hey, did you uh, forget to turn that light off? And you're like, oh, no, I was coming right back, you know, I just wasn't going to be gone long, so I just, you know, decided to leave it on, you know, just leaving that one on today. Yeah. So we can't, we're scared to be really exposed, you know. And it's on the small things, but it's on the grand scheme of things, too. In fact, if I, I mean, we're dealing with this idea where David's struggling to be transparent in this moment, and it's kind of hit with it. Uh, you know, it's, transparency is what we need. To be able to live a life transparent is where we need to be. And the fact that we so many times don't live transparent lives is one of the reasons we find ourselves in so many sticky situations. Now, to be like completely honest, though, one of the tensions I deal with uh, and still deal with on the regular, have dealt with, is this tension that, man, uh, when, when there's an opportunity to do something in the community or be involved in something or a business or an opportunity or a team or, you know, whatever, or some nonprofit to be able to get involved in, there's this pull for me to get involved. And I can sell it. Like, I'm the greatest spinner there is. Like, I can spin it of like, hey, Q's just doing something really great. He's helping people, yada, yada. But the internal is honestly, there's a lot of sometimes struggle inside that's like, man, if I do something and it's successful, then people will think I'm really cool. People will think more of me. The more I do, the more people will think of me. And I'll sell it, man. It's easy to sell that as like, I'm just trying to help people, just trying to be this great person and serve the community. But the internal, internal little voice is like, oh, Q, they might like you more. And it's real easy in those moments to step away from the things I know I should be doing, right? Like, go home and be with a family for an extra hour, Right? It's really easy to feel the tension to give up what I should be doing for what feeds the things of my, my desires of my flesh. And that's the tension we're all dealing with, whatever it looks like. And I don't know what it looks like for you, what it looks like. Man, if, if you're struggling, there's, there's, there's this unrest going on, but you're selling the picture that everything's great. Like, I get you. Probably all do. Like, you ever had, like, a really bad, like, you're trying to be, like, so non, like, you're so worried that things are going so bad that you try to put, like, really cool pictures on Instagram or take a really great post on Facebook just to convince yourself? Like, right? Like, if I can just convince myself everything's cool, then everything's cool. But internally, it's 
just waiting for the moment for it all to be exposed. Everything is shaky. Everything is falling apart. It's, Nathan says to him, says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I, and this is, this is crazy to hear this, I anointed you king of, over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. God speaking through Nathan says, Look, I, I gave you this stuff. Look, I, I anointed you king. I get, you, you told me that the battle was mine when you went and you out there and we beat Goliath. I mean, that was my battle. I gave you that victory. I gave you the, the house of Saul. I gave you his whole court. You are now king. I've given you Israel and Judah. You are king. And here's the crazy thing. He said, if you needed more, all you had to do is ask me. But some reason, David does what we do. He feels like if we don't have enough, somehow we got to go make it happen on our own. And we begin to cheat the things that matter to try to achieve some kind of success. And we become being less transparent and less transparent and we begin cheating and stealing, and we begin stealing time from the places where we should be giving time. We begin start cheating the moments from others just so we can build something for ourselves. More money, more notoriety, more power, more authority, more importance, whatever the more is, we go seeking after it in those moments. And God's telling him, David, you had everything, man, and I would have gave you whatever. Like, you just had to ask. Yet you went and you took Bathsheba. And that's like us. Now, we don't sit and think about all that God's given us, all the gifts that He's given us, the moments, the people. We feel like we've got to go make it happen. We've got to find one more thing. We're never satisfied and we can't be transparent. We just got to be, we just got to be hungry for the next thing. Look what happens here. Says, why have you, this is Second Samuel, this is God saying, says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And I want to stop there a second and just say, this is really, really strong language. I don't want this to be lost in us this morning. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You know, he, God in this moment, I don't think David like thought this was what was happening in this moment. I don't think we think this is what was happening. When we sin against God and when we choose to go the other direction which God would ask us to go, I don't think we're like intentionally feeling like we despise God. And I don't think David was doing that either. I don't think when David makes this decision, he's like, you know what, God? You're horrible. I despise you. I don't want anything of you. I just want Bathsheba. This is not the narrative we get, get given in the Bible. But what happens in the moment on God's end, you have to see it from God's perspective. In the moment when David chooses to go out to Bathsheba, God's saying, look at all the stuff I gave you, the life I, I, I wanted you to live. You dis do you despise me, David? Do you despise the plans I had for you? Do you despise the words I had for you? Do you despise it? And this is, this is why we need to hear this, because when we make those choices to do our own thing outside of God's will, man, God feels that in this way that we don't trust Him as much as we trust ourselves. We kind of it's like I'm despising the plans you have, God, and I'm going to go my own path. And the language is strong. 
It says, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And he says this, now, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house. And it doesn't. Because of this choice that David makes, there's a lot of conflict that happens in his family moving forward. Um, his child that he had with Bathsheba actually dies. Um, you'll hear some of the narrative of how the family goes into chaos after this, and it's just this really rough time. I mean, this is a moment, and it wasn't the sin. It's crazy. It wasn't the sin. It was the hiding the sin that took him down this path. In fact, Matt told us last week, if you didn't get to see that sermon, you should watch it over and over. If, from the moment he first started making mistakes, if, if David, after he uh, slept with Uriah's wife, would have had a meeting with Uriah, apologized, confessed, asked forgiveness from God, confessed his sin, this might be a whole other story. But he just buried it. He just buried it. And can you imagine the moment? He, can you imagine feeling like, you know what, the world knows, the world doesn't know what's going on. Everybody thinks David's okay. David's got all this leadership. He's kind of the most successful guy in the world at this moment. And then all of a sudden, Nathan hits him with this. Can you imagine how everything starts crumbling down around him? And have you been there? When you're doing something you knew you shouldn't have done, and then somebody finds out. You just feel the walls falling down. I would have loved to have known David's response in this moment. I would have loved to like really feel what David, how he, how he like handled this situation. How does he take this moment and walk out of it with any kind of success? Well, here's the awesome thing. We can know because not this doesn't happen a lot of times, but David, there's actually a psalm that's written right after this moment. There's a psalm that's written about his, his, uh, what he experienced after he was exposed by Nathan. Now, I want to share you part of that psalm. It's Psalm 51, but I want to kind of ask you to do something, all right? I want to ask you, I want to ask you this afternoon to potentially go home, go, like, find somewhere quiet this afternoon, open Psalm 51, and just read it, the whole thing. I want to hit some of the highlights this morning, but I think you would find a lot of uh, value in spending time on it. All right, let's look at here the beginning. And I can just imagine David sitting in the, if he had a writing desk, we know David loved to write, sitting in his writing desk, writing this song, writing this song, broken, a broken man, knowing that what he thought was forgotten, that he thought he had just buried, that he thought he got away with, knowing that it's all right there in front of him. This is what we see David write. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. And that's where he starts. And man, that's, can we just, that's, that's the transparency that we need in life. Is this idea of just, hey, I messed up. I'm telling you, we would get a lot further in the world if we, in a lot healthier place if we would just admit it when we messed up. 
If instead of trying to figure out what story we can tell that person when, we're, when we forgot to go to that meeting, we could just say this. And it, we feel like it's going to hurt them up, but I'm telling you, it gives you such freedom. If we could say, hey, I totally forgot about that meeting. I'll get there as soon as I can. Just be honest. Just, I messed up. I mean, this is David. Have mercy on me. He's saying, God, I messed up. This is nothing. There's no excuse. There's no me trying to, like, explain this away. There's no me trying to figure out how to make this better. I messed up. Have mercy on me. That's where we've got to start. That's where he starts. says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. And I want to say, this is the reason we can say, have mercy on me. This is the reason. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. You may be in like a sin that you've been, you know, hiding for nine months. You may be in a sin you've been hiding for nine days. You may be in a sin you've been hiding for nine years. But the reason that you can walk out of that and trust that God will have mercy on you is because of his steadfast love. And the Bible's really clear on how God showed his love for us. It says he showed his love for us that while we were sinners, Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He died to pay for our sin to God. Like he, Jesus never had any sin, but he paid for our sin on the cross, and then he rose again on the third day. Belief in that, that steadfast love is, opens all the mercy and all the grace to us. It's the story of the gospel. This is, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He just, see how he hammers that? He's, man, blot out my transgressions. Wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Just take this away from me, God. I messed up, and take it away from me. Man, I, I think if we can have that type of attitude when we mess up, instead of trying to safeguard our image, but if we can have this type of attitude, then we make it through these moments a lot better. It says in uh, 51.6, it says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. I thought this was really important for us to understand that God delights in truth. That's huge. Like, God wants you to be transparent. He wants you to say and be who you are. The truth, being, being who God has called you to be, that truth is what you're supposed to do. It's, you're supposed to, look, this doesn't mean like you can just say mean things to people like, oh, I really hate them today. So I'm like, oh, I hate you. That's not that kind of truth, all right? What I'm saying is delighting in the truth and not trying to hide the things to try to put up some image of ourselves. We delight in the truth. We delight in the truth of who God is. We delight in the truth of who we are in God. We delight in the truth. Man, if, if we're like struggling, we can talk about our struggles. If, we're, if, if we've messed up, we can say, I'm sorry, and talk about how we've messed up. There's this transparency that is so that's indicative in this. I love it. This, this transparency to be truthful in the inward being, to not be fake, to not put on a show, to not feel like you got to live through some Instagram account or some Facebook account, but to be truthful and honest, this is what God delights in. And he's noticing this in the moment, and this is why it breaks him so much, because he just spent this, this nine months not being truthful. He spent nine months being deceptive, and, and he knows this broke God's heart, and that's why he's writing this in the psalm. He understands that God delights in, in, in truth. And then in Psalm 51, 10, 11, it says this, and this is, I can just imagine 
David just crying his eyes out when he says this. It's so powerful. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is, I want you to see this. Because I don't want you to leave here feeling beat up because you got some kind of sin in your life that you don't know how to deal with. David gives the answer right here. He trusts God to create in him a clean heart. He trusts God to renew a right spirit within him. He says, cast not me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He realizes the key to getting back to the place he needs to be with God is to be with God. The key to getting back to where he needs to be with God is to just be with God, to be in God's presence. In God's presence, he can trust him to create a clean heart in him. I think, man, sometimes we feel like if we mess up, we've got to work so hard to try to figure out how to be not messed up anymore. But you can't clean your own heart up. God cleans up. When you spend time with God, you begin to then allow God to clean you up, and you begin to be who God's called you to be. And then renew the right spirit within me. To have the right passion for the right things. Man, to be passionate about the right things again. You ever just find yourself like, you know. Like, here's the thing. If, if you're in here, and some of you may be, and some of you may not. But the ones of you in here who are believers and who've been following Jesus for any length of time, we know the things we're supposed to be passionate about, right? We know. Like, we just know. Like, we should be passionate about people who need love, like to show them love. Like that's a really simple thing. Jesus made that really clear in the Gospels. We should be really passionate about that. We should be really passionate about loving God. That should be something we should be really passionate about. All right? But then there's all these other things that come in. They're cultural, like whatever, right? Some of them are through age, you know. Uh, for my age group, you have to be really passionate about Nirvana. I mean, Nirvana music. I mean, that's like, I mean, I was born in that age group where like, you had to be passionate about Nirvana. Most of you have to be passionate about Alabama or Auburn. I mean, that's just, you're in the South. That's like, ge- you know, geographical, right? That's, you got to be passionate about that. It was like, why are you wearing Oregon? I lived in Oregon for four years. I got a little pass, okay? This isn't me just jumping on a bandwagon, okay? <laughs> like, culture will tell us these things we need to be passionate about. But the right spirit within us, we're passionate about the things that God desires for us to be passionate about. We're passionate about the things that God's passionate about. And when we're in that place, when we're really passionate about the things God's passionate about, then the thing that David does with Bathsheba doesn't happen. Because it's very clear God's not in any way passionate about him taking some other guy's wife and then ended up murdering that guy. That was a passion. That was a, that was a worldly passion that David gave into and nothing of God. And so we have to be with God in his presence. And when we're with God in his presence, we begin to have a clean heart and we begin to pursue the things that God pursues. Now, that's a lot. And again, you're in here and you may be in one or two spots. You may be like, Q, you know what? I've got some sin I ain't told nobody about. I don't really want to talk about. Like, I'm afraid now that I'm walking out of here and like some Nathan's going to come up to me and be like, hey, let me tell you a story. Like, if, if anybody comes up to you and says, hey, let me tell you a story today, you're all going to be a little freaked out, right? I get it, all right? Or you're like, maybe you've met, man, you're just beat up and like, I've walked through this sin queue. I've like had to be exposed. I've been down at the bottom. Like, I, you could be, or, or maybe you're like, you know what? I'm not there. I'm kind of doing good. I don't know where you're at. But I want to give you something practical to use walking out of here. Because this is real heavy stuff. And I feel like if we don't have a formula 
that helps us, then we don't really get to accomplish anything. We just kind of hear a story where David crashes and burns because this is what's happening at this moment. And the truth is, all of us will go through moments where we have a real opportunity to crash and burn. I want to give you a formula that I think helps you in the everyday. All right, it's three things, all right? And uh, I think if you can plug these three things in, like a formula, then I think you find yourself in a place where you don't fall into the trap that David's in. And if you find yourself there, you can help get yourself out of it. You can begin to walk through it, all right? So, first one's this. Know your Nathan. Let me tell you, you need a Nathan in your life. It is very important to have someone in your life who cares more about you than they care about their relationship with you. You hear me? That cares more about you than they care about their relationship with you. You need somebody who cares more about your, their friendship with you, or more, about, uh, more about you as a friend than they care about your friendship with you. You need that person. You need that person who's going to tell you the things that nobody else is going to tell you. I've had quite a few of those in, in my life. I keep them around. When I have ideas that I think are teetering on the, the brink of like brilliant or disastrous, I usually tell them those people. Sometimes I listen to them. <laughs> it's me being honest. <laughs> but I try to at least keep those people close. You know? Matt has heard more ideas that I will never do than... I'll ever, ideas I'll ever do. Because I'll tell him these ideas I have, and he'll be like, oh, Q, you can't do that. I have people who tell me, Q, you, you need to like, cut stuff out of your life because you don't have enough time at home with your family. I have people who've told me before, like, Q, you, need to, like affect, you, need to, you need to check your health because you, if you don't stay healthy, then things aren't, aren't going to last. I don't like hearing those things. Like, I hate hearing those things. <laughs> I mean, I hate it. I need to hear those things. Does that make sense? Like, I need those things. We have a tendency to want to put people around us that tell us the things that make us feel good. We have a tendency to put people around us that tell us the things that we want to hear, that agree with how we think politically and how we think spiritually and how we think about life and what kind of music we like. And we want those people around us and just keep telling us the same thing. It is important to have someone who will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. If you don't have a Nathan, you want the first step of a formula, man, know your Nathan. Find a Nathan. Secondly, embrace transparency. Begin to try to figure out how to live more transparent. I don't know what that, that doesn't mean like starting like a, uh, you know, a TikTok where you give us every aspect of your life. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? Like, hey, this is me at 5 a.m. I don't know who wants to see that, all right? No offense to any of you TikTokers that are doing that. Go right ahead. Um, but transparency is being in life and saying things, embracing your mistakes, and being real about them. It's, it's not feeling like you have to cover up all the mistakes you make. It's not feeling like you have to hide the idea you have. But it's, it's being okay to be honest and not be successful. It's... We're so scared when our honesty is, we feel like our honesty is going to make us unsuccessful. But transparency is okay with that. Our honesty may make us not be the greatest person in the world, but at least it frees us up. 
And if David in the moment could have told somebody or could have been honest after his first mistake or his first thought or the first walk he had on that balcony, then things could have been really different for him. But he kept just keeping it inside until he went for, too far in his sin. Embrace transparency. Be genuine and be real. And then lastly, I'd say this, run from sin. Remember, God says after this happens that you've despised me. You despise my word. We want to run from the sin that would separate us from God. And what happens is when you run from sin, when you turn the opposite direction of the sin when it presents itself in your life, what you automatically do is you find yourself close and in the presence of God. And that can be life-changing. We want to be with God. In those moments when we are with Him, and he, that's when He is, is giving us a clean heart, that's when He's renewing our spirit. So you've got to find moments. You've got to find moments to run from sin and open up doorways to spend time with God. You've got to find those. If we do these three things, if you know you're Nathan, if you embrace transparency and you run away from sin, then we have, a, we have at least a theory, or at least a, not theory, what did I say? What? Formula. Formula. Thank you. Thanks, Dad. It's <laughs> my dad. He's awesome. Uh, been saved, he's, been, he's had my back since like 1980. Good job, Dad. Uh, know your Nathan and you have a formula for how to get through some of these hard times. Right? Now, here's the truth. This morning, you may be here, and you, but I, look, we had people this morning in the first gathering who've been dealing with sin that's in the back of their head, and it's like a record, and it's eating their lunch all the time. If that's going on and you need to pray, we're going to sing a song in a minute. We'll have people to pray with you. But you may need to even take it a step further. You may need to find somebody to talk that through with and become honest and transparent with. You may need to find a Nathan. If you're here and you feel so beat down because you feel like your past mistakes now have like dictated your whole life, man, if you want to come pray, I want, I'd love to pray with you because I believe that as you get closer and closer to God, He will renew your spirit and He will give you a clean heart. doesn't mean you're going to have to deal with some hard stuff because of your, your decisions. But you can have God clean your heart, give, give you the clean heart and renew your spirit, get you passionate about the things that God's passionate about again. We can experience that. Those are the things God can do for us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song. And, and it's crazy. We, we kind of, you know, we jokingly did the song, The Man by Aloe Black, how this feeling of, I'm the man, look at what I've accomplished, what a successful I am. We want to end this morning with a song called Underdressed, because this is the true place we stand. When we come before God, we will never be good enough. It doesn't matter how, many, how much you've sinned or how little you've sinned. We all come to God underdressed. We all come not good enough. But God takes our brokenness and brings us close to Him. And that's one of the most beautiful things. That through Jesus, God redeems us back in a relationship with Him. And if you don't have that, then you can have that through Christ. You just have to believe. Believe that Jesus came. That He died. He lived perfectly. Died for our sins. Rose again. And if you believe in that, believe in that amazing miracle, then the Bible is really clear that God redeems us back to himself and gives us a relationship with God again. And so as we worship, whatever you need to do in prayer, I just encourage you to do it. Let me pray for us. God, I pray specifically, God, for someone who, or multiple people who may be just, they've got a sin that's been locked down, hidden. Maybe it's been just a few months or a few years or but it is eating their lunch. It is in the back of their head, and it plays like a record that will never stop. 
God, it convinces them that they're a fake and that they got, they're never going to amount to anything, God, and at any moment it's going to tear them down, God. I, I don't know like how they get through that, but I know the first step is just, is just allowing, allowing you, God, to, to have it, to confess it, to seek you, seek forgiveness for it, God, to not try to hide it, but God, to trust your redemption. So God, for whoever is dealing with that this morning, I'm praying for them. God, for whoever's in here who just feels like they have lost their value with you because of their past sins, God, I pray you let them understand how much you love them this morning. They would know that they are dearly loved by you, that through Christ you showed your love for them. And God, they would feel that love. God, they would know that love. And God, if someone doesn't know you through Jesus, then this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them close to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.